Welcome to Let's Talk Land, a weekly land education talk show devoted to learning about land and farms, buying and selling, and ownership, especially for real estate agents and realtors. Hey, learn from the experts. This is free land education. Hi, my name is Lou Jewell. I'm an accredited land consultant with the United Country Real Estate Sutton Properties, along with my co-host today, Teresa Martin, who's one of our agents, and she's out selling real estate today. I tell you, this market's hot. Buying or selling homes, land of farms in western Piedmont, North Carolina, or southern Virginia, just give us a shout. Hey, we'll help you out. Our office is at 102 East Main Street, next to BB&T Bank in downtown Pilot Mountain, North Carolina. Our company website is www.allsuttonproperties.com. That's A-L-L-S-U-T-T-O-N properties.com. All of our shows are dedicated to the Realtors Land Institute staff and members. And our national site is www.rliland.com. And if you're looking to buy or sell or just want to understand the mechanics of land, uh, go to that site and find the closest uh, realtor that's a member. And specifically our accredited land consultants, which are about 500 of us nationwide. We'd like to thank our sponsor, LandHub.com. Buying or selling land, LandHub is the place to be. Just a program note, Dr. Barbie's Ask the Doctor show will now follow this show and will air at 10 a.m. So stay tuned. Uh, Dr. Barbie's always has something of interest. Hey, our guest today is Phil McGinnis. Welcome, Phil. Good afternoon. Good morning. How's everybody out there? <laughs> no matter what time zone you're in, I think everybody's doing fine. Uh, where, are you, where are you calling from, Phil? I'm in Dover, Delaware, Kent County, the middle of the state, in between New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Maryland, and I guess Virginia. We're part of the Delmarva Peninsula. Wow, that's an exciting area up there. Um, I've, I've driven through uh, a couple times over the years. It's been a long time, but God, what a beautiful area. Um, did you grow up there? I was born and raised in Dover. Uh, went to high school in Camden, which is it's part of Dover. It's a little community just south of Dover. Did you and, uh, went off to college in Pennsylvania, came back and got another couple degrees at the Delaware State University here in Dover. And went into the family business, married a local girl, and have a couple of kids. They're moved out now, but um, yeah, I'm a Doverite through and through from, well, I just had my 63rd birthday, so 63 years of it. Well, congratulations. You know, you, spe- you specialize, you own your own company, but you specialize in really all, and I like this word, non-residential properties. Hey, I've been known to yell out, I hate houses at our land conferences. You may have heard that several times over the years. But um, but uh, there's a difference, right, in, in, in residential brokerage and, and uh, land and commercial brokerage. Um, I mean, There is a big difference. Um, I mean, we manage, I can manage houses, and I can appraise houses. We have a management division and a, and a um, appraisal division as well as our brokerage. And, uh, you know, I'm in a small market. I got about 38,000, 39,000 in uh, my immediate market and 120,000 in the county. And so, you know, you got to do it all. But um, I can remember, uh, you know, I'm in a family business. My dad passed away 11 years ago, I think. And 
so I've been the Chief Mahif since then, but uh, we had a Caldwell Banker franchise for a while. We had a Realty World franchise, and you know he always wanted to be the full-service real estate broker, and all we ever did was lose money trying to sell houses. I never understood it. He didn't either. But he figured if he threw enough money at it, it might the problem might get solved, and um, he learned that lesson. But, um, yeah, houses is a whole different thing, uh, although they are selling pretty hot right at the moment. I think they are nationwide with a few exceptions. Uh, at least our market, we can't, we can't keep signs on property. Uh, it's just amazing. Uh, like I said, I've been yeah, doing that as long absolutely as you have. Absolutely amazing. I'm, I'm proud of our guys, but yeah. um, hey, look. Hey, make hay when the sun shines, right? While it lasts. You've got a few uh, acronyms um, associated with your, your name. Uh, you're a CCIM, and for those out there, uh, that is the commercial uh, education that's provided through the uh, National Association of Realtors, about a million four strong. And uh, we have these what we call satellites, and, of course, the commercial division. Uh, as you know, Philip, when we go to real estate school, uh, even when we went through, and currently today, uh, they just don't have enough time with the syllabus to uh, get into uh, the specialties, we call them. And land is one, commercials one, property management, international um, uh, real estate, and so on. So there were organizations that were formed, like our group, the Realtors Land Institute, 75, 77 years, I think now, um, and, um, and uh, we, we provide the uh, land education, the finest in the country, and uh, very rare to get land education. Uh, for and You and I both uh, have the privilege of being one of our Realtor Land Institute instructors. I teach the Land 101 class since it came out in 2003, and you teach which course now? Land Investment Analysis. Oh, uh, that was my favorite one. Wow. I'd love to redo it. I'd have to come next time you teach one. I'll try to come to your class. Uh, that, that was by far uh, the most impressive and, and uh, educational course that I think of the 10 courses we have now. You're also, we have a lot of fun with it. You're also an accredited land consultant like myself. How long have you had your ALC? Well, let me look at my certificate up here. Um, Oh, Lord. Uh, <laughs> 2007. Okay. I, I proceed. Number 1236. I got it in 2007. Yeah. I'm uh, 1792. I got mine in uh, 04, I think. <coughs> Excuse me. You're also a GAA, and the acronym stands for Gen General Accredited Appraiser. How long have you been doing appraisal work? I started doing appraisals in 1984. Uh, I had the good fortune of uh, my father's friendship with an appraiser in Wilmington. And he was willing to devote the time to give me some training. And uh, I took the Appraisal Institute courses for education. And in those days, Lou, um, that was before appraisal regulation from Fireia. Uh, all you had to do in Delaware was be a Delaware licensed real estate broker, and you were licensed to do appraisals, and so um, I spent about a year, 15 months or so, doing appraisals with that guy, and uh, I really felt that was some of the best training I ever got. I bet. 
And then when I got my broker's license in 1985, I opened up Dover Consulting Services, which is my appraisal division. I have it as a separate corporation okay. to try to separate the, conf- the appearance of a conflict of interest uh, between brokering and appraising. And um, so it's been 35 years. Wow. This you, year. you also had the ACOM, uh, A-C-O-M, which is Accredited Commercial Manager. Uh, that one I'm not familiar with. Tell me a little bit about it. That one is um, the uh, – um, I'm trying to think of what the institute is now because uh, i got so many of them I lose sight of it. But uh, that's the Society of Real Estate of um, – excuse me, not the Society of Appraisers, the Institute of Real Estate Management. Uh, they have uh, two or three different management designations for residential managers or non-residential managers, and the accredited commercial um, member, um, the accredited uh, commercial manager, uh, came out as sort of uh, a light version of the designation for people who were not full-time property managers in order to get property manager designation, you got to have a pretty broad and uh, thorough background, and you got to devote a lot of time to it, and I just didn't have the portfolio and, um, you know, didn't have the the hours of experience doing it. So they came up with this uh, accredited version of the designation, and uh, so I jumped right on it, a couple of courses, and uh, take a, you know, pass a test, and you know, like with anything, we submit a uh, portfolio of experience, and so I've had that for quite a few years too. Well, and then you got the EPRO, which is the um, marketing. Uh, when the internet uh, started developing, the uh, National Association of Realtors that, recognized that we needed. Yeah, uh, that that training. EPRO with Saul Klein. Uh, we did that in Delaware. Brought Saul in, and uh, that's when. Um, emailing first became popular right right and uh i i I will tell you i see saul every once in a while at the conferences or president circle meeting or something like that and uh, he will come across the room because uh, saul climbed to one piece of advice and i've gotten many but the one piece of advice that uh, i might shout to my computer every single day is don't use your email as a to-do list I like that one. And uh, that was Saul Klein. He said, yeah. man, you got to clean your emails out, archive your emails, and do not use that inbox as your to-do list. And I can't tell you how many times I find old emails and I wrap myself in the head and say, golly, gee, I forgot to return that call or return that email wow. or whatever the case may be. Wow. And then the last one that you have is the series, SRES, which is the Senior Real Estate Specialist, and we're both baby boomers. And uh, so it's um, it's a um, uh, curriculum or syllabus to um, help understand the um, the transition uh, of the uh, empty nesters uh, and the single um, man or woman, uh, single person deceased, uh, right. helping them move into a their um, their final home for most folks. So yeah, um, that was an interesting yeah that was an interesting program too because. Uh, you know, a lot of empty nesters don't realize 
how much equity they have and how to deploy that equity and and um, yeah, so we had a lot of fun with that program. I'm not even sure it's still offered, to tell you the truth. I think NAR bought it from the guys who developed it, and uh, one of them was a friend of mine in Wilmington who actually developed the program, uh, Wilmington, Delaware, not North Carolina. And um, yeah, that was an interesting program. Now, of course, I am becoming <laughs> the target of the SRES. We all are. Uh, I'm an empty nester myself now, me and my wife. Uh, my kids come down once in a while. They leave my grandchildren with me once in a while. But, um, yeah, that was a great program, too. A lot of diversification um, in my background just yeah. to keep everything fresh. Well, that's, uh, you know, the old adage in the real estate industry is 10% of the realtors do 90% of the work because uh, people – Hopefully, trend to. I mean, why would you go to a residential real estate agent and you've got a million dollar piece of land uh, or oh, exactly. a farm or a commercial property or, you know, you're interested in investing outside the United States borders or, you know, property management, you know, or, you know, it's, it, it's just, uh, I don't I don't think our industry really does a good job differentiating um, and supporting the uh, specialties. I'd like to see more of that. We'll put that in the suggestion box. We'll put that in the suggestion box, and I'm guilty to a certain extent. Because, well, we all are. Uh, we all I are. mentor. You know, I, I'm known around town as Uncle Phil, and I get people calling me all the time, residential agents. Some don't even know me. Hey, I understand I can talk to you. And, you know, I might be getting such and such a listing, and I might be getting this, and I might be doing that, and what advice can you give me? And you know, I get, it's always take the classes and get the education and, sure. you know, get the experience, but uh, I well, try to help them. Well, I've been teaching since 2003 the, for RLI all over the country. You know, as we know, we have 18 chapters, and I've been in right. San Diego, California, and Gary, Indiana, and Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and, and of course, I have my own uh, uh, four-hour CE class called Introduction to Land Brokerage. In North Carolina, we're required to have uh, eight hours of continuing education. There's 111,000 of us, by the way, Philip, in the state. Whoa. Yeah, that's what I say. And uh, four required and four elective, and there's over 300 elective titles all on houses. Uh, and I am the only land instructor with the only land class for the state of North Carolina. So, um, you know, I have a lot of students uh, for many years. And yep. And, of course, the reputation and name and the radio show and other things. And, uh, of course, I love helping people. So our guest today is Phil McGannett, and this is Let's Talk Land. View thousands of properties for sale on landhub.com. So, Philip, let's talk about our topic today. And I think that a lot of folks are going to enjoy this, is uh, just the basics on land investments. You know, just, just the things that we need to why, – why land? Uh, and, and maybe the history of land a little bit and – uh, but I'm going to turn it over to you. You're the expert. All right, beautiful. Well, the, let's see. The history of land. Uh, in the beginning, there was a book in the Bible called Genesis, and the lands were formed and all that sort of stuff. And we're, we're uh, I guess, um, the old adage, they're not making any more land unless you're at Disney World or down in Ocean City, Maryland, where they fill up land all the time. But... Um, 
think land is one of the great investments because of the flexibility that land provides. You, uh, it's like a fresh slate, if you will, if you're an artist, fresh palette. Um, you can do with it as you see fit. Of course, you should be smart about it, um, follow market direction and so forth, because at the end of the day, we're all trying to maximize wealth. But uh, I think one of the key features of land is your ability to, to put it to whatever use you want or no use at all if you so choose. If you buy an office building, you, know, you already have the the building is there, so what can you do with it? Well, you might be able to convert it to some other use or maybe not. And uh, same thing with retail or any other improvement. So the, the, what I like about land is just your ability to have the flexibility to deploy the land as you see fit and as maybe the market conditions dictate. One of the early lessons we teach in um, land investment analysis is highest and best use, and that's, of course, an appraisal theory, too, and that is uh, the highest value of the land is uh, the most productive, you know, the most logical use of the land. So. Uh, you're never going to be able to maximize value if you don't use the land properly. And, you know, I think that's pretty much where all my educational endeavors uh, converge between the appraisal, the management, um, the commercial training and whatnot is, you know, reading the market conditions and, and uh, figuring out what the best use for the land is to make the most money. So, and I find that to be the most interesting so, um, obviously, with land, uh, you also have, uh, I don't know how many, golly gee, you, you, there's, a, there's a checklist that would have to be two pages because you've got agricultural land, and I think you specialize in that, right, Lou? That's part of it, yes, sir. Um, so, you know, even with agricultural land, how many different subtopics are there for agricultural land? There's orchards, there's truck crops, there's grain crops, there's vegetable crops. Uh, yeah, there's all kinds of stuff you can do. Um, uh, timberland, I don't know, do you guys consider timberland in this part of the world, this part of the world, down there in your we, market we, area? We segregate it. Timberland is different than ag land. You could have a combination. Okay. Yep. Yeah, we don't, in my market, as you move further north, up through the mid-Atlantic from you, we don't have quite as much timberland as, uh, you know, I notice in the in the southeast and, and the south. Certainly Canada's got plenty of timberland, but um, I don't, you know, Delaware just doesn't have the land area for that kind of stuff, but we do have uh, a great deal of cropland. And uh, the other thing we do a great deal of is poultry farming. So we have a lot of livestock farms, too. Um, and, of course, I think, you know, you might be more famous. Some, most people think of livestock as being cattle or something like that. But uh, we can outnumber cows any day of the week with just a quarter of a poultry house up here in Sussex County, Delaware. So, um, And that's really been a hot market, too. A, a lot of activity with poultry farming. Uh, the chicken business is chickens are still being exported all over the world. So, and we do a lot with with that sort of thing. But you 
poultry farms are improvements because you have chicken houses on there. Um, and I've not seen too many chicken houses get converted to anything other than storage. But uh, other than that, um, and so uh, you move through agricultural and the subtopics, and then you know you start breaking into commercial land, residential land. Um, and we, as you mentioned earlier in your broadcast, you like the word non-residential. I do. And I, f- I find that uh, because when you say commercial, you immediately think of retail, but that's not necessarily true because office isn't retail. Uh, you know, even McDonald's restaurants or Burger Kings or CVS pharmacies, those kinds of things. I'm, you know, maybe a CVS is a retail, but um, signature building properties, uh, you know, aren't really retail per se. They're they're a little different use. But uh, so I I've really embraced the term non-residential because you're either living in it or you aren't. That's correct. And so when you're non-residential, you know, think of all the different things you can do with offices with. Uh, retail, certainly, with uh, industrial even, mini storage or warehousing or manufacturing facilities, you know, all of these different things. Uh, And when you use the word commercial, you don't always think of mini warehouses as commercial. You think more of that, you think that more of as maybe industrial. Uh, So, you know, the non-residential term is, for me, you're either living in it or you aren't. I like it. If you're not living in it, now you're in a whole different world, and a, a world I probably understand a little bit better. We were kidding a little bit in the background with uh, being able to sell houses. I've never been able to do that. I've never understood, ever, why the color of a carpet might turn somebody off of the house. Yeah. Um, yeah. I remember when I was a kid, when I Right out of college, I went to the family business, and my dad said, you're going to have to sell a house because we're going to sell houses uh, in the real estate. We were Alpha Real Estate Company at the time. And I said, yeah, well, I don't want to sell houses. And he says, yeah, but you're going to be in the family business, and we're going to sell houses, and you're going to have to learn how to sell a house so you can manage people. Yeah. And I remember saying, Pop, look, when I'm in charge, I'm getting rid of the house people, and we won't sell any houses, and it won't matter. There we go. What? You know, my father, anybody who knew him, would say, well, that's not going to go over very far. He insisted. So I remember it took me about 18 months to sell that first house. I was so proud of myself because I thought, well, I'll never have to sell another one of these things. Little did you know. uh, I have sold a house or two, but usually it's a rental property, you know, something like that, because I'm trying to sell houses with here's your appreciation rate and here's how your equity is going to work. Investment property, yeah. You know, we're constantly pushing the investment aspect of the house, and mom's thinking about what color the carpet is, and the kids are thinking who gets their own bedroom, and the dad's thinking about how he's going to make the payment, and, you know, altogether different theory of preferences for buying houses than how I'm approaching it. So for investment houses, I'm good. For uh, living houses, I'm I'm just no good at it. So that's how I ended up in the business I'm in. So, Phil, in our, our pre-show notes, I've got a uh, thing that you wrote here. 
Land can be a blessing or it can be a curse. What do you mean by that? Well, because of the flexibility. Um, you can, when you buy land, um, especially vacant land, um, if you have a good use for it right away, if you can subdivide it right now or you can build something on it, and you know, a lot of the calls I get are for land to be built on right now, uh, although I do a fair amount of my business is speculation land. Uh, but the curse part comes in with uh, if you've got a piece of land, you don't have a use for it, you're going to have to carry it. So uh, for guys to pay cash, it isn't that big a deal. You pay taxes and insurance and move on. Uh, but for guys, you know, and I say guys, but for, for investors who speculate with mortgage, you're going to have to be able to carry it. So uh, the blessing part is you can get a great, a fantastic, wonderful return on land investments, but the curse part comes from when you have to carry it. Yeah. So right now in this market, with low, 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 low interest rates, uh, but traditionally, with a caveat, uh, vacant land, uh, usually carries a two-point uh, higher interest uh, requirement. Uh, for example, if a uh, current mortgage right now is crazy sums, I mean, I've seen 1.8, but let's say 3%, then uh, the lending institutes are going to want uh, two points higher, usually 5%. They don't like the 30-year terms. They'll do the 20-year terms. And uh, it's a little bit different weight to carry uh, when you're making that investment. Uh, but right now is a hell of a time. I mean, we're we're selling land like crazy, not only because of the low interest rates, but because people are relocating from these heavily occupied urban areas into more uh, rural suburban areas and even rural areas. Uh, they're coming from all over the East Coast, down here to beautiful North Carolina and Southern Virginia that I market in. Um, you know, selling a house... Uh, Taking that right. money and, and uh, reinvesting it, and instead of having a, a street, a house that's uh, 15 feet from the other house, you now have five or ten acres of land that you can stretch out on. So uh, it's a, it's an excellent time right now, uh, even to speculate. Uh, you know, uh, buy low, sell high. Oh my heavens, yes. We're we're seeing folks uh, here in Delaware. Well, of course, from the residential standpoint, our residential market is booming. We've got people moving from the big city, uh, and Manhattan uh, is the big one. A little bit of Philadelphia, but mostly Manhattan and North Jersey. You know, folks that are moving into Newcastle County um, for cheaper housing, you can get a bigger house than you can in New York. You can pay half the price, a third of the price maybe. And uh, you're going to work remotely anyway, so you just get on the train and go to Manhattan if you got to be there for a personal meeting. But what we're seeing, too, is that, uh, you know, investors who are selling investment properties and you know, with low interest rates, I get three or four calls a day from brokers all over the country about properties that I manage. And, um, you know, I have quite a few investors that are just, they're turning their income-producing money into vacant land investment. And they've what? got patient money. They've got money that they can afford to sit on that, so they don't have any mortgage at all But uh, and, and wait for the market to come around to absorb their land that, you know, they'll, they'll earn their, their yield then. 
seeing an awful lot of that these days. So the ones that are speculating right now, and this would apply pretty much around the country, uh, are they speculating so. on land that's, um, say, uh, suburban, outside the urban area? Are they going out for the uh, croplands? Uh, you know, that's been a very uh, uh, low uh, investment uh, area because of the commodity prices over the last couple of years. What, where, where, where the, where's the best place to invest if you want to buy buy land right now, invest in land? Well, and that's really, I mean, that's, that's the great question, Lou, because that's really where you need some brokerage expertise. Like because, you and me. <laughs> um, you want to place your investors in an area where the market's going to grow at some point. You know, you got to be in the target line. So, uh, uh, you know, we have overlay zones. We have a, you know, we're a small state, less than a million people. And I don't know, we're one of the smaller states. I think Rhode Island is the only state smaller than Delaware in land area. Uh, so we have a fair amount of regulation. We're a coastal state, low-lying, so we've got wetland issues and storm drainage issues. Um and we also have a great agricultural um, uh, transfer development rights program. So uh, uh, the Ag Land Preservation Foundation buys development rights all over the place for land preservation. And so the point of all that confluence is that you got to be able to to get a piece of land and get you know make your investment in an area that you're actually going to be able to sell, that you're actually going to be able to put to use at some sure. point. So, so, um, so, if you know the future. The, so, so if you know the direction uh, people are going, get there first and buy land. Hey, our guest today is Phil McGinnis. This is Let's Talk Land, Land Hub, sell your land, land of your dreams. So Roddy's got $100,000 here burning a hole in his pocket, and he's seeing that uh, there's some uncertainty, Well, there's always uncertainty, but you know, in the current markets, and uh, and we're kind of hearing out there from a few of the uh, financial gurus that uh, you might want to start looking at uh, moving some of your investments. And by the way, you can use self-direct programs, IRAs, or KIOs. We did a podcast on that with a young gentleman out of Colorado, and there are very few companies to do that, where you can move your 401k or IRA uh, from, a, from a structural, from a corporate structural uh, entity into a self-direct but there's a lot of whistles and bells to that, and I don't want to get into that with this show, Phil. But um, let's help old Rodney out. We're both uh, professional land consultants. Uh, what, what, what should we advise Rodney? He lives in a semi-rural area, and um, and uh, uh, got some. I think you know. probably the first thing I would do is send Rodney to my website. What's your website? Which is uh, com. That's M-C-G-I-N-N-I-S-R-E-A-L-T-Y, McGinnisRealty.com, because I've got a bunch of land listings there. So I would like Rodney to, to look at the diversity of listings that I have, uh, because certainly, you know, as we mentioned earlier, Lou, you know, land is not just land. Uh, you really need to, to understand the different aspects and and segments and sub-markets of land. So uh, I guess, you know, like any real estate transaction, you start with sort of an interview so that we get a 
sense for what the investor's needs and desires are. I mean, if if Rodney's got 100000 and he's never going to need it, then I have some different investments for that for for that versus Rodney's got a hundred thousand and maybe he needs it next year or the year after. So we sort of need to understand what Rodney's investment duration term is. And we'd like to know what Rodney's threshold for pain is. When you, uh, you know, compare the real estate market to the stock market, you got to have a a bottle of Maalox and Bromo Seltzer and all that other stuff with the stock market because it goes up and it goes down and it goes down again and then it goes up and I mean it really rocks and rolls. I think the real estate market's probably a little more steady than that. Uh, but you can still lose in the real estate market. Um, many years ago, Lou, I was teaching and um, I was in Newcastle County, which is not my home county. And we did recognize that there was some depreciation in the market. And uh, I just, you know, I'm having fun. It's a little three-hour class. And I said uh, something to the effect that, you know, everybody invests in real estate because real estate never depreciates. The the price of real estate never goes down. (laughs) And I wasn't altogether serious, but, you know, you're talking to a bunch of real estate. You want to make them feel good and... Man, those guys were throwing erasers and shoes, all kinds of stuff at me because, you know, during the recession, and I can't, this was back in the early 90s, um, pre-Clinton. And, um, yeah, we got depreciation. We got falling prices up here. You know, so it does happen from time to time. Sure does. Uh, But, you know, again, back to Rodney, we want to make sure that we understand you know what Rodney's threshold for pain is. Uh, you know Rodney may have a hundred thousand dollars, and is that the limit for his price, or does Rodney want to leverage his hundred thousand? Because leverage is a key factor in real estate investment. You know how much more can you uh, purchase than a hundred thousand if you have a hundred thousand um, ready cash? And uh, it was an interesting observation that you had with a differentiation in the interest rate for financing vacant land. We haven't seen, uh, in my market, I don't see a difference in the interest rate, although I think there probably is. There's a little bit higher interest for vacant land than there is for improved land, and that's, you know, that comes down to the cash flow situation. But what we do see here is the equity requirement. And so I can... You know, I can buy improved investment land that's producing rent right now, and, you know, I can probably get 15% down. Definitely I can finance 20% down, and anything more than that is gravy. Uh, but when I get to vacant land, we start seeing equity requirements of 35 and 40%, in some cases 50%. Uh, so that's probably one issue that, you know, when you're talking about leverage, you got to understand so Rodney may be able to take his hundred thousand dollars in cash and create two hundred thousand dollars in land. Yeah, <clears throat> our, and we got to figure out how to carry it. But yeah. um, and our, you know, that's leverage is a great feature in the sure. American economy. Just just to throw a caveat in there, in our market, you know, the farm credit <clears throat> organization uh, been around since nineteen sixteen, backed by Farmer Mac, 
they have programs of 15, 20, and 25 percent down on a 20-year. So, um, you know, that's pretty much nationwide. Uh, I'm not sure how you're structured there with one of those offices uh, in your area, but yeah, we have yeah we've yeah for farmland for agricultural yeah. land that's going to be that's going to remain agricultural land. Um, I'll tell you one of the great programs that um, we have in Delaware with the Delaware Department of Agriculture is the first time first time farmers incentive. Okay, and if you are the progeny of a farmer, if you come from a farming family and you want to buy your own farm and go out on your own, we have down payment assistance and we have um, mortgage assistance. And so you can uh, you can finance into a lower rate for at least part of your loan, depending upon the size of the property. And and the Department of Agriculture will provide you with some down payment assistance. Uh, you know, it's in the form of a lien. You you have to pay it back when you sell the farmer at some point. Sure. You stay there long enough, and and the state forgives it. But I've sold a couple properties, smaller ones, but I've sold a couple properties with that program. So, yeah, I mean, you can get those kinds of things. I didn't know Rodney was uh, the son of a farmer who was going <laughs> to look for a farm, but um, we can we can employ that too. Well, that's part of the that's part of the inquisition process. Uh, you know, risk factor, that's, risk right, factor. That's part of the yeah. process. And the other thing that's important too, um, I do estate planning uh, for my investors. Uh, especially those that have families. And, um, you know, the typical person that I find that buys land, Bill, is, is um, people that have the uh, secondary income. You know, they've got a job, they've got a mortgage, and they've got excess uh, income or excess uh, money to, uh, to invest, and uh, they want that recreational land to go hunting on. Or their wife is, uh, loves to make blueberry pies and, says, Scott, why don't we just buy a little piece of land and let me grow my own blueberries? Or, you know, there's all kinds of scenarios like that. But uh, I always... Oh, yeah, we always, sell hunting farms all the time. Yeah, but I've I'll, got a list right down, a half a dozen people looking for hunting farms. Sure, especially this time of year. But, um, you know, they've got three children, and uh, obviously they've got a, a will, and, and, um, and, you know, they intend to pass that investment asset on to their heirs. And uh, so that's where the highest and best use concept comes in. So we want to look at being able to subdivide that property uh, equally, proportionately. Uh, it may have some improvements on part of it, but raw land on the other part of it. So the improvement part would be less acreage and the unimproved part would be more acreage. And, you know, so I kind of, I don't charge for that, but I, 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 want, I want my people, my, my investors to have a plan they can sit back and at their demise at least, you know, that, the, uh, the subdivision ordinances don't change that often and that much over the years. So it's pretty consistent on a 10 or 20 or 30-year future plan of the best use of that property. And then one other thing is sometimes I'll have an investor that has, like Rodney, that $100,000, and uh, he says, you know, I, want, uh, I don't want any more than 30 acres. And we get out there and we really can't find what uh, meets his vision, and we may find a tract that's 50 acres, uh, that's $150,000, that part of that property has exactly what he wants. So right. if, if he has the tolerance and the buying power, you know, always recommend, well, let's buy the 50 and then let me sell off what it is that you don't want. And obviously, if you're, 
you know, things, land sold by the acre, not by the square foot, uh, commercial is, but, uh, 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 you know, less is more and more is less. So if I can make some one or two acre lots up there on the road frontage, uh, I might have 3,000 an acre in that 50 acre purchase, but, uh, but uh, those lots, if I break them up, I may be able to do three or four, maybe fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 a lot, and I've only got $3,000 an acre in it. So I'm getting to keep my 30 acres, but I'm getting reduced my investment by selling off at a higher price. What's wrong with this picture? Well, I can see that uh, you've been through the Realtors Land Institute <laughs> educational program. Well, that did help. Yes, sir, and experience, too. Because you are, well, yeah, the experience counts, but, um, you know, a resourceful and thorough land broker is going to be able to help investors make all these decisions because somebody with $100,000 just wants to buy land and, okay, where's the land? Okay, here's a piece of land, let's buy it, uh, is not going to end up as happy as somebody who sits down and thinks through what the long-term goals are, what the the plan needs to be, where the market's heading, and and all of the things that are necessary to get a, a, a yeah. I mean, owning a piece of land for 30 years, ultimately you're going to sell it for more than you paid for it. Uh, but, the trend. Uh, you know, would your money have been better served somewhere else sure. just by buying a piece of land? But, you know, there's also other, 30 years. other so, par- parts to it, too, Phil. Uh, you know, you can it takes put- a great deal of planning, and it's got to be, you know, it's it's got to be imaginative and innovative. Right. There's other things that you need to advise, too, is maybe let's put it into a conservation easement and reap the tax benefits from that, you know, especially if it's going to be a property that's going to be um, a, a heritage property passed on from generation to generation. First of all, you're kind of controlling uh, through the, uh, through the uh, uh, restrictions on it. Uh, of the use of uh, the potential use of the property so this is great for farmers especially uh, we've got five generations in my mother's side 900 acres uh, that's been passed down and not one it's ever sold anyone outside the family and if my grandfather back in the 20s or 30s if these programs were around and put in a conservation easement you know it could still remain in agriculture or timber uh, or limited the number of home sites or you know and then you've got uh You've got carbon credits uh, now that it's really uh, t- taken hold. I've done a couple shows on that, by the way, Phil, and it's uh, right. act- actually uh, it's it's a legitimate business now uh, that can be proven about these carbon credits. But you can do it with forestry, uh, for example, if it's a planted plantation uh, investment, uh, pines. Uh, you know that normally you harvest around 30 years. If you allow them to not be harvested for 60 years, there's federal carbon credits for that. This is this is money to offset your income uh, and reduce your and re- reduce your investment. Uh, so, uh, you know, there's a lot more to it uh, that, that meets the eye. That's what's so fun about land. There's so many things you can do with it. Uh, for most parts, yep. some, some land you can't do but one thing with it. So, uh, you know, but there's also a use for that too. Yeah, we have, uh, we have the Ag Land Preservation Foundation and it's funded. We have an open space program. Uh, we have a farmland acquisition program, and so we've got one of the highest transfer tax in the uh, taxes in the country. And uh, about twenty million bucks a year goes into purchasing open space and agricultural properties. And another 
15 or $20 million goes into buying development rights through the Ag Land Preservation Foundation. So we've seen a lot of canny investors that uh, they buy properties that don't have the easements and uh, TDRs applied. And oftentimes you can get 50, 60, 70% of your investment back in selling the TDRs and, and whatnot and going into the easement areas. And then, you know, you still have the operation of the agricultural land, whether it's hunting or whether it's crop land or whatever the case may be. And um, I think that's, that's really pretty swift for uh, being able to recapture your investment and retain the land. Sure. There's two... two I, uh, there's... I think there are great stories about that all over the country, too. Exactly. There's two companies I've interviewed recently, you can find them on our podcast, uh, that are actually um, warehousing uh, information for oil and gas, wind and solar, uh, timber, ag, uh, hunting, leases, anything you can do above the ground, below the ground that you can lease or sell those rights, uh, those bundle of rights that we have, uh, that uh, you can now list your uh, your property through a realtor and I'll clue you into this and I want the other realtors to listen too. Uh, you can actually register with these two companies. One's called Landgate and the one that's called um, um, golly, can't remember. I'm getting too old. But it's on there. I'll remember here in a second. But you can register your, your friends or clients property and if it's uh, and, and indicate if it's good for cellular, good for solar, good for wind, good for oil, good for all the different things. And, uh, and there's companies that go out there that's wanting to buy or lease these type properties. Now they can go to the, these two sources and identify the properties that are available because they're registered. What a great idea. So oh, uh, I, that, That's outstanding. So now there's even Absolutely. more opportunities that guys investing. Rodney, you know, his property's perfect for a solar farm. You know, that $100,000 can buy him enough, 30 acres minimum, uh, you know, to, uh, with the right orientation and topography. And, you know, we go after we sell him the property, we go ahead and register it for, for solar potential, and it may be a high enough elevation for cellular potential. So, um, you know, now Roddy doesn't, you know, he's, he's got an opportunity to make some money off this property and didn't even know anything about it. Yep. I just sold a, uh, a hunting farm, if you will. My client, wonderful gentleman from Sussex County. I actually knew his wife before I knew him. His wife was a client of mine on a property we manage here in Dover. And so he's got this hunting farm, 186 acres on the Duck Creek in Smyrna. And, um, you know, he, he calls it a hunting farm and, you know, there aren't any TDRs or any easements or anything on it. It's clean that respect it's a beautiful piece i gotta tell you it rolled nice and drained out to the edges and uh, i was really impressed with that property had an old house that they use as a hunting lodge and um they had the ponds that you can fill and drain and all that kind of stuff and they call it something i can't remember what it's called because you can see that i'm not a big ag guy that's something to do with ducks (laughs) uh the property next door Directly next door is under contract to a solar farm, solar um, power reseller. And my sign goes up, and 48 hours later, I got a call from this guy. And uh, he said, here's the way we buy it. 
we pay you option money, so it's not you know deposit. You can spend the, the, the you can spend the option money. We pay it every six months. We've got to get approvals and so forth. Uh, but Lou, they offered me a twenty-two, almost a twenty-five percent bonus on the price to wait eighteen months. Wow! And the good news was that they were so far along in the process in the farm next door that even though they they gave me an eighteen-month timeline, they figured it would be fifteen to eighteen months, and they would be ready to go. Right? Uh, they're within three months or four months of because with solar. You have to get you have to get the solar power approved, and you have to find a market for it. Right. Um, and you would think that anybody would buy the solar power, but apparently that's not the case. So there has to be a market for the solar. And um, so that that's really been an interesting process for me. It's been a great education in how these things Absolutely. work. And, and uh, I know there's two other properties in the southern end of Kent County that are under the same sort of program. So, uh, and my client was deliriously happy because I'm sure he's he owns the property free and clear. So if he has to wait 12 to 18 months to get a 25 percent bonus on the list price, which he never thought he was going to get anyway, hoorah! <laughs> um, he's going to have money that I'm going to have to move for him. And now you may want to use the 1031 like kind exchange process. I love those things. Absolutely. I've got a, I just listed 110 acres on the Yakin River. Uh, doesn't mean anything to you, but in our market area here down in Davie County. And the guy has $770,000 in his investment 20 years ago. Uh, had three kids and they liked to motocross and, and uh, hunt. And, you know, they had been using a, uh, actually, the guy that he uh, leased his uh, business uh, building had a 600-acre track, and they invited them to use it for many years. And he said, why don't you just go buy your own? So he found this property. Well, the tax value on it is $1.1 million. I just listed it at uh, 1.35 if you take the 5 to 6% per year appreciation of land over 20 years. We get into that number. But now right. if I say I sell it for a million two. This guy's going to have a hell of a capital gains responsibility of 15%. So I've been educating him. I've already set him up with the intermediary uh, that can educate him further. You know, I teach that in my Land 101 class. Uh, and you guys probably touch on it a little bit too. But, but I mean, what a great program out there to, uh, to uh, offset your uh, tax burden. Oh, absolutely. We... Uh of course, I became familiar with the 1031 program when I was doing my CI courses back in uh, 1984 and 85 and 86. Yeah, it's been around a long time. Um, but we have been, yeah, we've, of course, the program's changed over time because it gets gamed so much. But, um, and I know they're talking about doing away with it. I We're fighting for it. I've been involved in public policy for a number of reasons, mm-hmm. but mostly f- to make sure that it's okay for real estate investors mm-hmm. to survive. And, um, but yeah, the 1031 is a very valuable tool for investors to, uh, to be able to sell assets and then acquire some other asset and keep right on moving. Sure. Because I, I tell you what, they're, especially like in Delaware with trans, the high transfer tax, if you don't have any transactions, you don't have any transfer tax. Right. And right. Income taxes do <clears throat> inhibit property owners motivation to sell their properties 
Well, see, that's why Rodney's here, and he came to the land specialist. And I remind the listening audience out there uh, that's listening to this broadcast, also go to www.rliland.com because that's where you're going to find about 1,300 top landmen and landladies around the country, around the country, uh, that including Delaware with our good friend Phil, that are the experts in land and land investments. So don't just call your local real estate agent. Uh, and, you know, th- they don't have the experience. How would they have it? There's no land education out there. So it's not their yeah, fault. No, yeah, <clears throat> if you're going to invest in land, if you don't know anybody, the first thing I got to do is Google land experts because um, I think the RLI members will show up there and Absolutely. give you a head start. And we all help each other. Competent. Yeah, we all help each other. It's a great family. I love our family. Uh, doesn't matter what part. I mean, I have clients that will call me and say, I just inherited uh, 1,000 acres in Colorado. Uh, what do I do with it? And I said, well, you call my good friend in Colorado who's an ALC, and he'll take care of you. So uh, Absolutely. that's how it works. We're great at that. So back to Roddy's situation, and we're talking to him. Uh, let's talk about whether he should uh, uh, sell or lease his property, this investment property he's making. Why, why would you make that consideration? Sell, you know, we just sold him uh, 30 acres. <clears throat> How long should he hold it? Uh, the 1031 on the back end, maybe uh, conservation easements if he wants to do it long term or if he wants to take those tax advantages and uh, resell it, or should he lease it? Yeah, and we have a number of um, we have a number of routines we can run to calculate. Uh, which is the best advantage, sell or lease. And um, that's always an interesting exercise, too, because if you're going to be a land broker, you ought to be able to have some fun with it. But, um, you know, um, if land is appreciating very highly at the time, then, you know, I typically advise my clients to lease because there's no point in giving up equity that's, just waiting for you there and uh, so if you can carry it and wait for the appreciation get a higher return uh, that's always a little more appealing I think than than selling out and it's almost better the devil you know if you know what I mean you 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 own your asset so um, yeah but with Rodney we would you know just make sure that we know what the general market conditions are so we can advise him whether or not lease rates may be higher at the time, and so you can earn a, you know, a better yield. And when does Rodney need his money? And and um, you know, so there are a lot of considerations, and they all all these considerations have value. So we've got to be able to add all those considerations up to get the highest value. Sure. And then you know, there's other considerations too. It's called uh, regulations, zoning, subdivision laws, uh, bulk regulations, storm and water, wetlands, roads, schools, water, sewer perk test, uh, you know, and and one thing that I teach my students, and I'm sure you do too, if you want to play the land of game, and this is for you guys out there too, and gals that want to invest in land, um, go to the area, the county area that you want. Just about every county in the United States has what's called subdivision ordinances, and you will find them on the county website. That is the rules of how you play the game of land. That is the most important document. If you want to invest in land uh, and, and, and do your own research, or you can rely on people like myself and Phil to do this stuff for you and educate you. But for those that like to learn about what they're putting their money into on their own, 
that's the place to go. That's the rules of the game. The subdivision ordinances may be called different things, but on the county website of the area or areas that you do marketing in. Oh, absolutely. And I know we don't like to talk about politics on these things, but, you know, you have to be involved in the public policy aspect of your real estate market. Um, I think the best real estate brokers are involved somehow in how the regulations are written in local market areas, um, wetlands and stormwater requirements. I mean, these are all regulations that are part of the subdivision ordinance, but you know, often stand alone. And um, the zoning bulk regulations, we call them bulk regulations, which include setbacks and lot areas and you know things of that nature. Um, we have uh, tree mitigation ordinances up here, Lou, that uh, you can only cut down uh, a certain density of the trees on your property, and then you have to start replacing two for one, sort of like a wetland sure. mitigation. Yep. But, um, you know, you, you reach a certain density of trees that you can cut, and then you got to replace them two for one somewhere else. And so all of these things matter. If you don't have a broker who's able to find where you know find the regulations, find the rules, find the the uh, scorecard, then um, I think you're probably going to be at a loss. That's the reason you need to go to www.rli.com or to your website or my website uh, and uh, hook up with someone that knows what they're doing. You know. So. Time. Just uh, with about a minute or so, about a minute left here, uh, what do we want to leave our listings? Uh, Rodney, he's right here giving you your last best advice. I think probably, you know, Rodney's going to show up with $100,000 and he's going to have an idea of how he wants to spend it, but he's going to realize after he gets done talking to one of us that. Um, there are a number of things you didn't actually consider. And so I think the key thing is for us to be able to match up Rodney's wants with Rodney's needs, whether Rodney knows what his needs are or not. I mean, certainly Rodney doesn't need to lose money. Um, so it's, I mean, it can be that simple, but, um, you know, getting, I think, to Rodney's uh, ultimate goals that maybe he doesn't even understand that he has I think is really where the competent professional land consultant comes in the best. Hey, you've been a great guest today. How do they get in touch with you, Phil? You can reach me. Uh, my office phone is 302-736-2710. That's in Delaware. I have email because if you're an e-pro, you got to have an email address and that is pjm which is my initials, PJM at McGinnisRealty.com, M-C-G-I-N-N-I-S, Realty.com, and my website is www.McGinnisRealty.com. And um, you can even Google Commercial Brokers Delaware, and I think I will pop up for you. I'm sure you will. Hey, you've been a great guest today. Thank you for your insight. You know, we're both land educators, so uh, we love what we do, and we love helping people. I don't charge for what I do a lot of the time. I get commissions when I when I do what I'm supposed to do, but the rest of the time, unless it's involved. But anyway, thank you for joining us today. Let us know how you like the show. 
Hey, if you have any questions or topics you'd like to suggest, we'd appreciate them. All of our questions are welcome, and all of our guests may be emailed through your questions or comments as well. This show is for the public and, most importantly, for real estate agents who do not have a source or land education. All shows are downloaded after the show today, and our master website is www.letstalkland.net.net. Podbeam and Spotify also carry our programs. Teresa is not here today, but her cell number is 336-669-1405. Mine is 336-66. That was my phone number. Sorry about that. Mm. How did I mess that up? (laughs) Golly, somebody needs to rewrite my script here. Gosh. Anyway, my email is Lou, L-O-U, at MyLandPro.com. Our sponsor today is LandHub.com. Are you looking to buy or sell land? LandHub.com previews thousands of properties nationwide. That's LandHub.com. How do they get in touch with us here, Ronnie? Well, they can go to our website, Lou. They can go to WKTE1090.com, and also they can download the Simple Radio app. Simple? Is it that simple? It is really simple. So they we put in simple. WKTE1090 AM. Mm-hmm. And you can listen to it in our in our wonderful beach music and oldies, which is happy music. Only happy music. Only. So if you want to be happy, that's right. You got to tune us in. Okay. If you want to be sad, listen to everybody else. That's right. We got some awards too, had we? Oh yeah, five years in a row being station of the year on the East Coast. So that includes Delaware, beach. huh? Yeah, I guess so. There. Well, see, hey, how about right there. that? Yeah, yeah Delaware. And you got a nice award. Yeah, last year, the uh, 2019 Announcer of the Year Award. What? Really? Yes. wonder why. I have no I mean, clue. <laughs> Maybe I should apply. That's right. Well, you might be in the run-in this year. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, stay tuned for Dr. Barbie.